Yeah. Thank you so much, brother. You know, I, it's a real joy for me to be here. Uh, so greetings from New Day Church in Magnolia, Texas, where I'm serving as an interim pastor there right now. And, and greetings from the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, where we plant churches worldwide. And I know that's your heart and your church's heart and Grace Partnership and their heart together. So it's a joy to, to have a, a partnership together in, in that ministry. And, you know, Spurgeon, he, uh, he once said that as, his, as he was traveling a lot and speaking and preaching and his wife missed him so much that he lovingly told his wife that we should never cry as we put our lamb on the altar. And my wife came across that quote on her own. So I didn't tell her that. You know, honey, Spurgeon told his wife. Uh, and so she is thankful uh, for this ministry and thankful that I've been here to now here to serve you with God's word and to look at being a church and a people that are committed to mission in the city. And so please take your Bibles and let's look at Jeremiah 29. You can tap or turn on your Bible or turn in your Bible to Jeremiah 29. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 7. And this is what our brother Jeremiah writes, by the power of the Spirit and the great prophetic word of God flowing through him. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Eliash, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Let's, let's pray. Holy Father, help us as we look at your word. All scripture is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the thoughts and intentions and, and joints and marrow and in our hearts. Because all Scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for rebuke, for correction and training and righteousness, that the men and women of God may be fully equipped and ready for every good work. So would you now, Lord, pierce through hearts, pierce through our minds, pierce through our thoughts, pierce through our intentions, correct us, Train us, rebuke us, exhort us 
prepare us for righteousness and for good works in the city of Titusville, for good works in the city of Houston, that your light may shine, that our light may shine and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. So help us now, King Jesus. By your Spirit, would you serve Trinity Church now? And it's in your name that we pray and that we believe and we trust King Jesus. Amen. Well, apocalyptic shows and movies and books and Netflix series, they are always in vogue, but they seem more popular than ever before. I remember even reading a little book, How to Survive a Zombie Apocalypse, as though that were ever going to happen. And I have another book, uh, 100 Deadly Skills, that you know, if I were being followed in another country, that I should go in and buy an umbrella and then fill it with wrenches and so I could have a ready-made weapon. Why do I know that? That's never going to happen to me in the mean streets of Tomball, Texas, in my gated community. But apocalyptic movies and shows, we love them because we want to see how humans react when the world falls apart, how society stumbles. And, and we watch movies about imagining what would have happened in a nuclear holocaust or what would happen if Nazi Germany actually won. What would the United States be like? And they all kind of have the same thread leaning into the curiosity of how would we respond? What would happen if the world was ending? Or how would we react if our world was no longer what it used to be? You've seen the different reactions in all the shows. They really go two, three different ways. Survival instincts are displayed through violence. Survival instincts are displayed through compromise. They form coalitions. And then other people, they have no ability to respond and they just give up. Neither of those reactions are found in Jeremiah 29. For all intents and purposes, the Israelites' world that they knew was over. Thriving in Jerusalem, thriving in Israel, worshiping at Solomon's temple, all these things they enjoyed were now rubble. When the scripture says that they've been brought away here in Jeremiah 29, that they were taken in verse 1, taken into exile from Jerusalem. This means they were dragged, beaten, whipped, and escorted violently into another country, into another city where they are no longer in control where they have no authority, they have no voice, they have nothing of their own, they have been carted off and forced out. And so now they are living under another nation that's not their home, and to another place that is not favorable to their spirituality. I mean, Babylon is nowhere anyone would want to be. There are no summer homes in Babylon. And what God tells them to do is countercultural to every apocalyptic movie on the planet. He doesn't say, let's get a military strategy together. Go buy a hundred deadly skills. He doesn't tell them how to stage a coup and get their land back. He doesn't tell them how to get their nation back. He tells them, this is what he tells them, update your stationery. Update your Christmas card list. Go ahead, get that garden going. Get your salsa garden together. Find the Home Depot. 
Get comfortable. You're going to live there for a while and live your life. And the same is true of us. We are the same. It is far too easy and tempting for Christians in the U.S., whether it's in Florida or in Texas, for us to say, this country is just not what it used to be. This country is just going down the toilet. She's making me sick. She is awful. And then talking about this leader and talking about that leader and complaining about this thing and complaining about that thing and and that celebrity and this award show and going on and on and on and to hold our nose and to cross our arms and to retreat back into our Christian circles. Like modern monasteries, like hermits, and just to try to stay away from the sinfulness of the culture and just do our own thing. I mean, I, I know people in Houston. They go to a Christian school. My kids go to a Christian school, which is great. But then they also have, they only participate in Christian sports. They only go to Christian coffee shops. They only go to a Christian dentist. They only go to a Christian doctor. And they only use Christian breath mints. (laughs) The testaments. And they're horrible. Brothers and sisters, that is not what our Lord calls us to. It's okay to be among non-Christians. And I really do believe it's okay to have a non-Christian put fluoride on your kid's teeth. I don't think there's any pagan ritual we have to worry about. But if we want to be faithful in doing missions among the city, we, right where we are, right when we're at home, there are really three things we've got to see from this text and grab from this text and change the way we think. And change the way we live. Because like, like our brothers and sisters here in Babylon, they are exiles, not where they belong. And Peter tells us we are strangers, aliens, and wherever we are. But the United States of America is not our long-term home. Our Philippians tells us our citizenship is in heaven. So how do we live in exile? Because... You know, Rick and Patty and I, we were having great conversations about this last night, and I I think the devil tricked the church that we talk about, oh, the good old days. Well, they were good old days for some people. They weren't good old days for others. And I think the devil tricked us to think that the Christians, that we were the majority in America. That's just not true. So how do we live now? First thing we have to see, God places us. God places us. Look at at verse 4. So thus says the Lord of hosts, here's the prophecy, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, and you can underline this, whom I have sent into exile. How shocking is that verse? Here are the Israelites in this awful city, this pagan country, suffering and surrounded by paganism, and God says, I sent you there. I placed you there. This was not out of God's control. It was totally in it. And even when we feel like our lives are out of control, they're out of our control, but they're not spinning out of control. God's in control. This was not a mistake. This was God's providence. This was God's plan. And their addresses being located to Babylon was by the hand of God. And the fact that you live in Titusville or Cocoa, in the surrounding areas, 
The fact that you live here at this time, at this moment, was not just because of a job opportunity or because of a family need or it just made sense for this season. The fact that you are here is because God placed you here. And so that means that God's sovereignty has you here for a reason. And when we see and believe this, our our lives begin to take on a different flavor. I've lived in Houston my entire life, which is crazy. I, I, I think about 2,000 people move to the greater Houston area every week. We have a mega church moving to Houston every week. And the population is growing. Christianity is declining. And I meet people in our church or in the community of other people, and they move from Colorado or they moved from California. And they'll say things like, this is horrible. I hate this place. I hate Houston. Dallas is so much cooler. <laughs> Careful. And I'm like, no. Or they move from Colorado. Like, this is just not Colorado. Texas is bland. This is so lame. I hate living here. And, and look, the weather is a lot like Florida, but we don't have any fun stuff in Houston. Beaches are not worth going to, but it's home. And I'll meet these Christians that are just complaining. and It's just lame. There's no mountains, blah, blah, blah. And they're missing the point. God placed you here for a reason, for a season. And I doubt it was to complain. I doubt it was to disobey Philippians, to do everything without complaining, but to let your light shine amidst the darkness. Complaining will rob us from mission in the city. We have to be people for the city. God has sovereignly placed each and every one of us where we are right now for two reasons, three reasons. For the good of others, for our good, and for his glory. These are all true. And I had to learn this in a very hard way. I was was working at Starbucks in Houston in my early 20s, and it was a pretty good job. Decent pay. Uh, You got stock options. I don't really know what that meant. Uh, I still don't really know what that means. Uh, you, you got health benefits and free coffee. But I really just wanted to get out of there because I wanted to be in vocational ministry. So I just viewed it as a stepping stone. I would show up, do my job, eh, kind of talk to my coworkers, but I just wanted to be at a church full time. I wasn't really all in. I wasn't really committed. I just kept thinking about what I want, what my next step is what I'm after. I want to fulfill my dream. I want to fulfill my plan for my life. I didn't really care that much about my coworkers. I knew I'm not going to be here long. I just want to be here until this church can hire me full-time. And the church did. And I didn't let that door hit me on the way out. I thought, finally, I'm out of here. Finally, I'm at my dream job, what I want to be doing, teaching college students the Bible, teaching Sunday school, They're paying me 500 bucks a month. I'm rich. Look at this. And then I was there for less than a year because the senior pastor lied about losing $300,000 of the church's money in a Ponzi scheme. So that church is gone. I slithered back to that Starbucks with my tail between my legs. Hey, could you, do you have any room for me? Did you bring me back? And the manager graciously hired me back. And this time was different. I didn't view this as a stepping stone to ministry anymore. 
a stepping stone to mission anymore. I viewed it as, oh, this is my mission. And I began to work as unto the Lord and not just for man. And I began to take interest in my coworkers and in their lives and encourage them and pray for them. So much to the degree that one of my Buddhist coworkers, her name was Francois. I think I write about her in the book. She is um, very, a, a male French name. She's Vietnamese and about this tall. And we're talking one day. And she says, I'm going to be, a, we're talking about Christianity, talking about faith. I'm telling her about the gospel and how Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the dead. And we can be forgiven of it all. It's incredible. And she goes, I know, I'm becoming a Christian on Saturday. I said, okay. Um, how, how are you doing that? I've never heard of this program before. What, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm going to this Catholic church, and I'm going to take a class, and I'm going to be a Christian afterwards. And I said, you know, um, then my manager heard us talking, and he came over, and he said, you need to stop talking about this. You can't talk about this anymore. So I go, oh, okay. Then Acts 4 comes to mind. I cannot stop talking about what I've seen and what I've heard. So he leaves. I'm like, all right, listen. We're, 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 we're making our frappuccinos. And I said, you don't have to take that class to become a Christian. You don't have to do that. I don't? No. She goes, then what do I need to do to be saved? <laughs> yeah. I said, you know, I don't want either of us to get fired. So why don't you come over to our house tonight for dinner? My wife will make spaghetti. We'll have a great time. Come on over. She goes, sure. She came over. We just took out Bibles. And we just read Ephesians 2. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, without hope, the prince of the power of the air reigning over us. But God, who is rich in mercy, with the great love with which he loved us, saves us, causes us to be born again. By grace you have been saved through the death of Christ. We're reading all these things and talking about these things. And then she starts laughing in the middle of it. And I remember thinking, oh no, I'm not charismatic enough for this. This is going to be a demon possession. What is going on? <laughs> and I said, Francois, why are you laughing? And she says, I have so much joy that if Jesus, if Jesus would do that for me, she says, Buddha did nothing for me, but Jesus would save me. Jesus would die for me. Jesus would forgive all of my sins. Jesus would love me now. Are you telling me this is all true? I said, yes. She says that I want him. I want to follow him. Mission in the city. Just simple conversation. One of the greatest joys of my life was to lead her to Christ. Preaching to thousands, wonderful, great. Leading a soul to Christ, immeasurable. We need to see God has placed us in these places for a purpose. And we got to commit. We got to have our mind change. That's the second thing we see. We need to think long term because God thinks long term. So, secondly, we need to think long term and commit because God thinks long term. Look at verse 5, Jeremiah 29 5. So, what he, t- he tells them, verse 4, I've sent you there. Verse 5, build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Now, look at verse 6. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for those sons and those daughters, that they may bear sons and have daughters. Multiply there. So, 
God tells these Israelites in exile, this is where you're going to be for a while. And he doesn't advocate for the, hey, don't unpack, you won't be here long. He doesn't say, you're living out of the suitcase. He says, yo, you're here. Buckle up. See, God wants them to think generations. Generation upon generation upon generation. This is long term. And God wants us to think long term. Not just months and years, but generate. I mean, look at the long term. Okay, just look at all the time that's built into all these words. Build a house, not a tent, not what they were used to in Exodus. Build a house. That takes time, energy, effort, settle in. Plant a garden. You ever planted a garden? So easy. (laughs) No. Lots of effort, lots of sweat, lots of energy, lots of disappointment, lots of frustration. Lots, and then now look at what he says. Eat the produce. Oh, well, I mean, that's just a couple of weekends. No, months, seasons, years. Apple trees don't get apples in a month, I think. <laughs> it takes years. So good. And now look at the next one. Get married and have kids. New families, new traditions, new generation. Generation one. Get those kids married. Another generation. More time. More time. Get those kids having kids. Another generation. So you see these, what these exiles are hearing. God is saying, I view this ministry as you being future grandparents. This is not just a semester ministry. This is long-term language. See, we're all accustomed to fast-acting plans. This is the downfall of American Christianity. We love Pop-Tart Christianity. We love popcorn Christianity. We love Starbucks fast. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But that is not how spiritual fruit works. Our Lord uses agricultural analogies more than anything else because fruit is slow. It is seasonal. It takes time. And it's often unimpressive at first. Like when we go into the grocery store and you see all these fruits here, that's the prosperity gospel. That's not real. That's not how it works. We eat things out of season. Our brothers and sisters in the first century and now here in Babylon, they ate seasonal. You can't just be like, I want a strawberry anytime. No, you got to wait. And like, well, we want conversions now. We want blessing now. We want fruitful ministries now. Well, then we got to follow God's timing for fruitful ministry. And it takes a long time. And so we need to know when you minister to a family, when you minister to these families at special joy gatherings, or you're helping a family find a job, or you're helping with some job training, or you're doing some medical help, paying medical debt, or, or you're serving at a pregnancy assistance center, or, or you're engaged in foster care. This is generational change. The gospel brings generational impact, and it begins with believing God sent me here, and I'm committing to this place. So by telling them to build homes and plant gardens and get married, he's telling his people to live their lives among the Babylonians. Do not eject from society, but be a functional part of it and live. This is home. And, and to do it very practically and very spiritually. 
Very practically and very spiritually. This is the last point this morning. God is practical. Mission is practical. Look at verse 7. But seek. It's amazing that the word but is there first. What's it contrasting? Living their lives, building, where that's our temptation. Just live our lives. Don't, now it's, don't just live your lives. But, before you get too comfortable, seek the welfare. And look how he front loads it. But seek your own welfare first. No. Because this is a prophetic example of our Lord who sought our welfare. Who though he is God. Has angels swirling around him, worshiping him in the heavenly places. He did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself of that right, made himself a servant, and sought our welfare on the cross, dies for us, rises for us, showing us that he seeks the flourishing of others. And our model's the same. That's why he says in Philippians, have this mind among yourselves. But seek the welfare. This is what it looks like. And maybe we get hung up by the word welfare. I mean, I don't know, there's American hang-ups with this kind of word. Okay, fine. Flourishing. Betterment. The, good, the, good, the, the, the goodness of this city. That they would experience good flourishing. And here's what this verse is teaching us. Seek the welfare of that city. And look at what he says. Where I've sent you into exile. He reminds them again. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So he's saying, we cannot seek our own flourishing apart from the flourishing of others. That's what the Bible calls selfishness. We seek the good of others. I don't have another Spurgeon quote. I wish I did. But Spurgeon is one of the greatest preachers in history. Pastored a massive church, massive change, planted churches. And out of, their, out of his church, Metropolitan Tabernacle, there were at least 66 ministries outward-facing, orphanages, helping in hospitals, serving the sick, almshouses for widowers. I mean, intense ministry for others. And this is a great word, I think, for every church and for all the people of God everywhere, especially right now, because there is a tension in the American church about the word justice, about doing good, about mercy ministries. But the truth is, we are called to serve and love our neighbors as ourselves. It's very simple. What would I want if I were in their situation? I would want help. I would want assistance. I I would need blessing to do good works and let our light shine, to seek their flourishing. Uh, Seek means two things. Seek means, first, to look and wonder what is needed. How could we serve? How could we help? And then we have to have the second. Then you do it. Then you pursue it. What we can do a lot is, man, it'd be, you know what this city needs? You know what these people need? You know what would be great for them? And then just leave it at that. But seek means to assess and then act. To assess and and act. So, and this is an imperative. Seek, seek, seek the welfare. So, I'm not from here. 
I, I, I know a little bit about Titusville. What is God calling you to seek in Titusville? What needs are there? What has he put on your heart in this city or in Cocoa Beach or, or in these other communities? What, what are you seeking? What do you see? How could you act? One of my friends in Houston is a great pastor friend in Houston. They have a wonderful vision statement for, for their church. And it's very, very simple and very vivid. In Houston as it is in heaven. In Houston as it is in heaven. I love that. Making Houston a little more like heaven. There are so many practical ways to seek the flourishing of others. Helping foster children is to seek their flourishing. Adoption is to seek the flourishing of others. Assisting pregnancy centers, funding them, praying with people, giving them resources to seek the welfare of these mothers and these babies, to seek the welfare of refugees who are settling into the USA with cooking classes, learning how to use an American kitchen, how to, how to shop at our grocery stores when they're used to markets on, di- on dirt roads. Helping people recover from addiction. Doing Bible studies on, with addiction clients. Because at the bottom of all these things is we are looking at people who are not just sinners, but people who are made in God's image and their baseline dignity has been lowered by this fallen world we live in. And so the church comes along and says, you are not your circumstance. You have worth and dignity and value because you've been made in the image of God. And we, and we you know, we need to mirror our Lord. His ministry is filled with good works. Filled with meeting practical needs that display his Messiahship. And so our good works are meant to display his Messiahship. Because Poseidon, he's not commanding anybody to do good works. The Greek gods, they don't care about people in Nigeria, but Jesus does. As the Lord of all, he cares about people everywhere. This is why the book of James says to pure and undefiled religion is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. But there are some Christians in the U.S. who be like, woke, like, uh, that's Bible. <laughs> this isn't liberal. This is the scriptures to do justice, do mercy, look after orphans and widows. There's no dichotomy in the spiritual needs. I mean, I think there are some Christians who would critique Jesus and the parable he gave in the Good Samaritan. Well, he should have left a gospel track at the end. <laughs> Jesus gives a story about serving those in distress And then we see this in all of his miracles, that he eventually, and him and his people, they get to the conversation. They get there. So in Titusville, what are some local light-bearing initiatives in the city that you and the church could be a part of? And not just church leaders and not just finances, but you. Because this is a word to all of the people in exiles, not just the leaders. But to every Christian who's an alien and a stranger in Titusville, you know what we, we must do? Look at what he says in verse 7. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. 
pray for Titusville. Just a simple note card in your Bible. Make it a bookmark. Make it a, something that could remind you. Pray for Titusville. Pray for your neighbor. I mean, Jesus looks out over Jerusalem, and he doesn't hold his nose and complain. He weeps and says, oh, how I wish you were willing to follow me. And I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. That we would look over Titusville, look over Florida, and look over Houston. Oh, Lord, bring people. Don't just make them better citizens, but bring them to you. Save them, Lord. Who are you praying for that isn't here today? Let's begin there. Who are you praying? And so when I say, who are you praying for that's not here today? I'm not saying the Christian who overslept or or the Christian who's at brunch. Who's the non-Christian that's not here that you're praying would be here and be baptized, be born again? Pray, who are we praying for? What are you praying for them? Quality of life? Sure. But we know what the best welfare actually is. What the best flourishing, the eternal flourishing to be saved by Jesus Christ. Because missions in the city isn't just about making life better, which we ought to do, but as Pastor Tim pointed out, it's about the gospel. It's about eternal life. That we have a message that is news that cannot be topped, that you can have your sins forgiven by Jesus Christ, that by his death on the cross, that he took all of the sins, all of the crimes against God that you had committed, and by believing in him, by by trusting in him, and by believing that he rose again from the dead and is alive right now in heaven, that you could actually be forgiven, that you could be made new, and that your life is settled in eternity. Because the worst thing that could happen to anyone in this room and to anyone in Titusville is to die twice. We will all die once but some will enter into eternal life and then some will enter into eternal destruction. Oh, that we would all enter into eternal life. That we would all fall into the arms of Jesus and to the great flourishing that he gives us, the great blessing he gives us just by faith in him. We are the steward of that news. The church is the pillar and buttress of the truth And so there are some churches who they get all into doing good in the city, but they end up doing no good because they never talk about the good news. And then there are some churches who only talk about the good news and yet don't seek the welfare, the flourishing of others. Our Lord calls us to both. The book of James says, pure and undefiled religion is look after orphans and widows in their distress. And do you know what the second part says? And to keep yourself unstained from the world. Sometimes we forget that part. The Lord calls us to both. There are some Christians great at being unstained from the world, horrible at looking after orphans and widows. And there are some that are great at looking after orphans and widows, and they are totally filthy from the world. Our Lord calls us to the supernatural both. Seek their welfare. Seek their flourishing. And pray, pray for God to bless them. The risen Christ, he cares about Titusville. He cares about Houston. He's, you know why we know he cares? Because he's placed you here. 
I'm so reminded of when the apostles are being sent out. But before he sends them out, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. For the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And do you know what the next event is? Jesus sends them out two by two to go. Harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And now he says, I'm sending you out. You living in Titusville is an extension of the compassion of Christ on Titusville. That's why you're here. It wasn't just great opportunity. It wasn't just because Disney World's only about an hour away. It's because the Lord has compassion on Titusville. And he wants to catch you up into his compassion and to have it extend and flow to where people can meet him and hear of him. Jesus weeps over cities, not because he thinks there's no hope, because he loves sinners. He loves people and wants them to bring, wants to bring them into his goodness. He's placed us here. He's placed you here for long-term impact. He's ready for you to seek it. Regardless of what any news outlet says, this is no apocalyptic moment for American Christians. We've always been exiles. We've always been strangers. And it's time to seek the welfare. Let's seek it. Seek it together. Let's pray. King Jesus, we, we come to you asking you to shift our minds, to, to shift our, our hearts on, on how could we assess, how could we act on what is needed in, in this community? Is it partnering more with the, with the um, addiction recovery center here, even in the parking lot? Is it a pregnancy center down the road? Is it a starting a a Moses closet for those in foster care. I mean, Lord, what, what opportunities are there to let this church, let their light shine, to give glory to you, Father, who art in heaven. So our Father who art in heaven, blessed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Titusville as it is in heaven. So, so help this sweet church now who seeks to honor you, seeks to love you. Give them a great, thriving, flourishing mission in the city. That would this church be known as a, as a church that blesses the city, loves the people, no matter their background, no matter their spiritual condition, but seeks their flourishing and seeks it in you the only flourishing that will last into eternity. So help us, King Jesus. Be with the the elders and leaders here. Lead them. Give them wisdom. Uh, Be with this church. Stir up in them, Lord, how they could serve for your goodness, for your kingdom and your glory because of your gospel, Lord. And it's in your name that we pray, King Jesus. Amen.